Singleness from the sermon series 2020, Discerning God's Will in the New Decade, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pantan. So I've been at Metro about two and a half years now, and I love it. Um, <laughs> thank you. But when I first came over, all of my friends asked me, like, how's it going? What's it like over there? Because I grew up in a traditional black Baptist church. And now here I am in a multi-ethnic, but mostly Asian evangelical covenant church. And um, when Pastor Peter hired me, he was very upfront with me that he wanted to diversify his staff. Um, and so I went online and I started looking at the staff bios and I quickly learned that I was one of a very few uh, black staff members. And then I started looking at the preaching staff and I realized that I would be the only woman preaching on a regular basis. So when I came into Metro, I was prepared to be black amongst mostly Asians. <laughs> and I was prepared to be a woman preacher amongst mostly men preachers. But I was not prepared to feel so single. The staff here is amazing. I love them dearly. Um, but I soon realized that I was one of the very few single people on staff. And the three others are much younger than I am. I have no children. And even our beloved singles pastor is married. <laughs> but we love you, Doug and Sonia. <laughs> um, but the staff here are wonderful and the singles ministry is great. So for the most part, I'm good. And yet, when I looked at the sermon calendar and found out that I had been assigned to preach on singleness, my stomach was in knots. And there was a, a slight sting that came to my heart and it felt like God was mocking me. You know, I'm cool with being single, but that doesn't mean that I wanna stand on stage and preach about it. Suffice it to say, this is not my most exciting moment right now. Let me tell you, it is much easier to preach about something that you feel comfortable with or you feel like you've gotten a good handle on. It is a lot more difficult to stand in front of a room of people and kind of have to wrestle with your own emotions. Because while I love my life and I am very grateful, there is a part of me that still deeply desires to be married and to have children. And I know I'm not the only one because we have a very thriving singles ministry. And so as I was praying about this sermon and I talked to God very <laughs> casually, um, after I wondered why he was such a jokester and a character right, for assigning this to me, um, I wanted to see where he was leading us, and he led me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And this is how our word reads. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and I'm going to slip to King James, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Paul is thanking the Philippian church for sending him money. He is in prison and he's grateful for their concern, but he says, even if you had not sent me anything, I would have been okay. He tells them that he has learned to be content regardless of his circumstances. He understands what it's like to be in need. He understands what it's like to have plenty, to have more than enough. And either way, he says, he has learned the secret to contentment. Paul's secret to contentment is that he can do all things through Christ, that Christ gives him the strength to be content. Now, this passage is often preached with reference to money. Paul was in prison at this point, and he's clearly impoverished, but he had also been wealthy in his lifetime. He's speaking about a contentment that comes regardless of your financial or your physical situation. In want or in need, abound or abased, as it says in King James, Paul will be content. But we're talking about this passage this morning because so many singles feel as though they are in deficit, that they are in need, that there is something missing from their lives that they want. And it's not necessarily financial, it's an emotional need. Paul says contentment allows us to endure the seasons of want, whether it's financial or emotional or otherwise, and seasons of plenty. Contentment for Paul was a way of life, regardless of the circumstances, he had determined that he would be content. And Paul knew what he was talking about. He had been in prison multiple times. In fact, he writes the book of Philippians while he's in prison. He had been flogged numerous times, near death so many times that he couldn't count, shipwrecked, beaten, and stoned. He had been hungry and thirsty, cold and naked. Paul had lived a hard life and suffered for the gospel, and yet he still found contentment. Don't you remember him singing while he's in jail? He was still content. And that's why this message is not just for single people. It's not just about singleness. All of us have wants. All of us have things we desire. But have we learned the discipline of contentment? God is calling us in this season of our lives as single and honestly in any season of our lives to contentment. What's God's will for your life, for your singleness in the next decade? It's contentment. Rob Cuban, the author of Christ-Centered Contentment, and I haven't read the book, so I don't know, but he has this great quote. It says about contentment, the Bible calls us to allow our conviction, not our circumstances, to govern our sense of contentment. True physical... True biblical contentment is a conviction that Christ's power, purpose, and provision is sufficient for every circumstance. We are to learn how to walk through all kinds of adversity, believing in and experiencing Christ's sufficiency. We have to choose to rest on God's good promises despite what may be going on in our lives. 
Contentment is to be free from cares because of the satisfaction of what we already possess. It's an inward state of mind. It's not based on circumstances. Now, this does not mean that we cannot desire or want from, for things. Rather, it means that we hold those things lightly and we do not allow dissatisfaction to come into our present circumstances. Contentment is about understanding that our sufficiency is in Christ. That it's a Christ sufficiency, a power that comes from Christ alone to be satisfied because of who we are connected to, not the circumstances we find ourselves in. Why? Because circumstances change, but Christ never does. Because as believers in Christ, we know we possess all that we need if we have Christ. We have the love of Christ and we have the power of Christ, and that is more than enough. So if you're feeling content today, that's wonderful. Keep it up. But if you're not, I get it. Contentment does not always come easily. Paul had to learn contentment, which means it didn't come naturally and it didn't happen suddenly. It is a process we learn by walking with God. Paul had to move from the knowledge I learned to the ability I can. And that's where God wants all of us to go, to the ability to be content regardless of the phase of life we find ourselves in. Paul understood, as we should too, that we are always in God's hands. And if you are in God's hands, there's no better place you can be. But oftentimes, as singles, we can feel discontentment. Wedding invitations, baby registries, engagement photos, holidays, class reunions, rom-coms, even love songs on the radio. All these things can lead us to feel discontentment with our singleness. And we have to be careful to protect our hearts from discontentment. The truth is our desire for marriage is not bad, but is it rightly ordered in our lives? Our identity is not found in our relationship status, regardless of what other people might think or we might think. Our identity is found in Christ. But there are some attitudes and there are some things that can cause discontentment. So let's talk about them. And this is not just about singleness. This is about all of us. The first is envy, what the Bible calls covetousness. In short, you want what someone else has. You see your friends getting married or engaged. Your Facebook or Instagram feeds fill up with those adorable pictures of little kids and their parents or, you know, one spouse talking about how much they love the other spouse. <laughs> you watch it and you feel yourself moving into this space of jealousy and envy. Even though you know that what they are displaying is only part of the story. Because people only put the good things on Facebook, right? They don't talk about the disadvantages of marriage, right? But it sucks you in anyway. And maybe you think that person doesn't deserve that relationship. Or maybe you just want it for yourself. You eventually click off of, you know, Facebook and IG and you look around your own home. You go back to your own bed by yourself. You look at the one toothbrush in the bathroom and you begin to mourn 
or even despise the life that you live. Discontentment has taken root. But when we are jealous or envious of other people's lives, it's as if we're telling God that he doesn't know what he's doing. We're telling the omniscient, all-knowing God that he's made a mistake in our lives. And the antidote for envy is gratitude. Gratitude for what God has so graciously given us in our lives. We need to get into the habit of practicing gratitude. Gratitude focuses our attention off of our apparent deficits and onto God and what he has already provided for us. Because the truth is that God has been good to us. I mean, I can look at you and tell that God has been good to you, right? We have so much food that we diet. We have so many clothes that we're looking for places to give it away. We have jobs and we have homes and we have friends and we have family, we have vacations. We left our homes yesterday and we returned back safely. We need to celebrate the goodness of God. Gratitude counters the discontentment that envy breeds. The second attitude that can cause discontentment is idolatry. Now, maybe you're not jealous of other people. Maybe you're not like, maybe you are like me. I'm genuinely happy for people who are in relationships. I love weddings. I don't wish bad luck on anyone or anything like that. But what God revealed to me not too long ago is that my issues regarding singleness was because I had made marriage an idol. I had fallen into the trap, and indeed it is a lie, that marriage is the ideal state. I had fallen into the belief that life only began once you were married, and that something with my life was wrong. Marriage became my goal. I had my degree. I had my job, now I needed a husband to complete my life. It was subtle because it was all internal. It was just sort of what was going on in my head and staying on my mind. And I know it's not just me because oftentimes we learn this from our families and our culture. How many women went to college pursuing not just a BA, but an MRS? Our families can make marriage the end-all, be-all. Did you know, and I hope I'm not saying this incorrectly, but did you know that there's a term in Chinese called Xing Nu? It means leftover women. Our society makes it so easy for marriage to become an idol. Our churches can do it too by overemphasizing marriage, especially towards women, teaching towards being a godly wife or mother instead of being a devoted follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, regardless of the situation you find yourself in. Idolatry, therefore, breeds discontentment, and it can easily settle in our hearts. But the Bible makes it plain that we are to have no other gods but God. We are to worship the Lord God and him alone, that he sets the standard for our lives. And and the remedy for idolatry is worship. Worship reminds us who is in control. Worship reminds us of the grandeur and awesomeness of God. Worship calls us into reverence as we exalt the Most High God. 
Worship trains our heart to elevate God above everything and anything. Worship is the remedy for the discontentment that idolatry causes. And now the third attitude that can rob us of discontentment is fear. Plain and simple, it's fear. We worry about what our family will say. We worry about what our friends will think of us. We live in fear of the future. Will I always be single? You know, we're talking about discerning God's vision for the next decade, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, really, God? Ten years? Is that the plan? Right? You're, you're wondering, will I ever have children? Who will I grow old with? Who will take care of me when I'm elderly and frail? And you know what? As real as these fears are, they signal a deeper problem. My lack of faith in the most loving God to provide for all of my needs, whether they be emotional, physical, or financial. Discontentment can easily take root. But the Lord is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And God loves us, and perfect love casts out all fear. And God reminds us in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. The antidote for fear is to live in the present and place our focus and our faith on God. Be still, he says, and know that I am God. Fully living in the present affords us no time to worry about the future. Even more than that, there is only one who holds the future, and that is our God. To place our focus and our faith in God helps us to deal with the discontentment that fear can bring. We have to pay attention to discontentment because discontentment causes us to make poor decisions. The less we are content with our lives, the more we are focused on ourselves and not on God. We begin to operate out of our desires, out of our flesh, out of our emotions, out of unhealed wounds, instead of acting out of the truth of who God is in our lives. We begin to move away from God's teachings, and, and I don't say this to offend anyone, we've all done it. Discontentment can cause us to settle. We marry people we shouldn't have. We stay in bad relationships. Let's just be honest with one another. Would you really have paired up with that man or that woman if you honestly and truly felt comfortable in who you were as a child of God? You don't have to tell me, but you should be honest with yourself. And can I address something that comes up often, but I know is a hard subject? 
dating non-Christians. We know the Bible calls us not to be unequally yoked. And that's because our values are going to clash. Everything from how you spend Sunday mornings to premarital sex to how you raise your children, will your partner pray for you? Can you develop the marriage that is a sign and a wonder like Pastor Peter described last week? I've dated non-Christians even after I was already in professional ministry. Yes, they were nice guys. Yes, they were cute. But let's be real, was that really gonna work out? And so, can I offer you two pieces of advice, two pieces of practical wisdom. If you are dating someone, regardless if they are a Christian or not, take that relationship to the Lord. Ask him if this is the relationship that he desires for you and see what he has to say. God may say, proceed, go right ahead, and you know that you can move forward knowing that God is pleased with your relationship. Or he may say no. If you're already married, pray for your spouse and model godliness before him or her because God needs to be in the center of those relationships. When I was in seminary, I dated a man, a Christian man, I was in love with, and I wanted to marry, and he wanted to marry me. And when I finally went before the Lord and prayed about this relationship, God made it clear that this was not it. God said no. And so through many, many tears, we broke up. We cannot hold anything in this world tighter than we hold God. God will not be second in your life. And he cannot be second in your life. And so here's the second bit of advice, wisdom, if you're struggling with discontentment. You need to figure out your triggers and avoid them. Now, this may mean a hiatus from social media. This may mean that you have to decline a few wedding invitations or baby showers. And if they are truly your friends, you need to let them know that you love them, but you are not in a good place right now, and that's okay. I have a friend for whom, or a while, she never went to baby showers. She would send a gift, but she wasn't going because her, her heart couldn't be there. Her heart couldn't handle it. I keep seeing the ads for the movie, The Photograph, and I'm so excited to go see it. It comes out on Valentine's Day. I am going to go see it, but not on Valentine's Day. <laughs> but I know that when I go see it, I'm probably going to have to see it alone because a lot of my friends can't handle that kind of romance movie. And that's okay, because we need to protect our own hearts. Protect your heart from discontentment. Take affirmative steps to protect your heart. But more than turning off of social media or avoiding a few movies or a few events, we need to do some deeper heart work. So how do we do it? How do we maintain contentment in our season of singleness? And if you're already content and living your best life, consider this message just a reminder for you. Because contentment is where God wants us to be. He wants to live fully content in who we are and in the lives he has blessed us with. So how do we maintain contentment? 
We maintain contentment first by abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Look at verses 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Christ gives us the strength to be content. Paul is talking about his vital personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because of Paul's consistent relationship with Christ, Paul knew that he could do whatever God called him to do, whether it meant enduring beatings or remaining single. Paul accepted his circumstances and he was able to deal with them because of his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He depended on Christ for his strength. He knew that where the Lord led him, he would have power. So if God has you in a season of singleness, he he will empower you to be content in this season if you reach out to him. And to know and know that the strength that Paul is talking about isn't a one shot thing. Christ constantly infuses him and he constantly infuses us with his power and his strength to be content. That is where our strength is renewed, when we are in relationship with Christ. Jesus makes it clear in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You will never find contentment in the all-sufficient Christ if you avoid him. Take your concerns to him. Take your disappointments to him. Take your fears and your desires. Confess the ways you've made marriage an idol or you've fallen into jealousy. Go to him and cry out like the father seeking help for his son. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The Bible says to cast all of our cares on him because he cares about us. Allow the Lord to heal your heart and strengthen your spirit. Aren't you ready to be made whole? It's 2020. And honestly, we aren't getting any younger. We know what to do. Read your Bible. Meditate on the goodness of God and how much he loves you. Pray to the Prince of Peace because that's where you will find your peace. Pray to the Comforter because that's where you will find your comfort. Pray to Emmanuel because he will remind you that you are never alone. Set it in your calendars. Read your Bible. Even if it's just a verse or a chapter a day, put it in your calendar to read your Bible, and to pray. Remain in him, he says, and you will bear much fruit. Remain in him and you'll bear contentment and joy and peace. If our focus is on God and what he's called us to do for his kingdom, then we can be assured that God will meet all of our needs. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, that may mean that God sends you a spouse, or it may mean he may not, and that's okay. Because we don't trust in the gift. We trust in the giver of all good things. 
Everything you need, God will provide. Our goal is not marriage. Our goal is to get to the point in our lives where we can say, as long as I have Jesus, I don't need anything else. That's true contentment. And we find it in abiding in Christ. And the second and final thing we must do to maintain contentment in this season of singleness is to receive singleness as the gift that it is. Receive singleness as the gift that it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes the longest chapter on marriage and singleness. In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7, he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, meaning single, Paul was single, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. And both are given according to God's perfect will and perfect purpose for our lives. Hear me when I say this. Marriage is a gift, but it is not a reward. It is not a reward for good behavior. It is not a reward for fasting and prayer. It is simply a gift, just a different type of gift. Too often, we can become so focused and fixated on that one thing that we fail to see the abundance of what we already have. This Christmas, I was in North Carolina with my family, as I always am, and one of my cousins has a 13-year-old son. And this son, um, he acts grown, as we like to say. He's smart, he's funny, he's considerate, but he often inserts his opinions and his childlike wisdom into conversations that I was never allowed to be a part of when I was his age, right? And so he's mature, he even started a little car detailing business so he can make some money. And so, um, so he's a good kid, right? Um, his parents are not together though. And so this past Christmas, he was with us, our side of the family, um, and his mom. And on Christmas morning, his father calls him and told him that he wouldn't be able to bring his Christmas gifts over that day, the way he had promised. Now this kid is taller than I am, bigger than I am. And I watched him fall into like toddlerhood. He just melted down. He had like this total meltdown. He cried, he screamed, he went outside and started throwing sticks and shadow boxing. <laughs> I could not give pictures because I didn't want to embarrass him. He doesn't know I'm telling this story. So our, his mother and I are sitting there and we're like, is he crazy? And so we try to calm him down and, and we're reminding him that he's still gonna get his gifts for Christmas, they're just gonna come the next day. We reminded him that the rest of our family will be giving him Christmas, his gifts later that afternoon, but he wasn't hearing any of it. We reminded him that he had way more than plenty of other kids. We reminded him that he was so blessed. We reminded him that the purpose of Christmas is not his Christmas gifts but he couldn't hear it. So we gave up and we waited for him to come to his senses. And he eventually did. But in the midst of his tantrum, 
God reminded me of the many tantrums I had performed over being single. That I had cried, that I had screamed, that I had pleaded, that I had prayed, that I had commiserated with my friends, and God would tell me that he was enough and I wouldn't hear it. He would tell me that he loved me and I would say, but why not this? He would tell me that singleness is a gift and I would ask for a different one. In seeing my little cousin, God reminded me that I needed to stop with the drama. This is how me and God talk. <laughs> stop with the drama because I am blessed. He has given me everything in Christ. He has given me salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. He has given me the awesome gift of singleness, and singleness is a gift. It's a gift to be fully received with open arms. It's not the consolation prize for his second best. It's God's best for us in this season of our lives. The gift of singleness is not a hindrance, but it's a joy. Earlier in chapter four, Paul is going to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We are called to find our joy in Jesus Christ, especially when we don't have the things that we want. Even though you may not have what you want in your life, your heart can be fully alive because your ultimate source of joy is Jesus Christ. Singleness is not a trial to be endured. It is a gift. It is a good gift, a positive gift to embrace with both hands. And one of the gifts of singleness is having a greater opportunity to focus on God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35, Paul writes this, I would like you to be free, free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. As singles, we can devote ourselves totally to God. If marriage is a sign and a wonder like Pastor Peter described last week, then singleness is a joy. It is undivided devotion to God. Paul reminds us that married people are concerned about how to please their spouses, but for the unmarried person, we can concern ourselves with those things that concern God. We get to serve without the distractions of marriage. We get to serve without compromising with another person. We get to serve God with all of ourselves. We can do the mission trips. We can serve wherever and however. We can live our dreams unfettered and uncompromised. We can build strong relationships within the church and go out and spread the gospel message. We can go hang out with our friends on Friday night, or we can go out and feed the hungry. We can serve the poor. We can involve ourselves in issues of justice. We can take a class or go back to school. If you are not serving in this season of your life, you should be. I can live my life the way that honors God and pleases me. 
in the big things, like whether or not I go to South Africa and visit Zamele, or in the little things, like whether or not I have popcorn for dinner because I don't have to feed anyone but myself. <laughs> Embrace the gift of singleness that God has given you. To remain content, we must abide with Christ and openly receive the gift of singleness he has provided for us. Paul had within him all that was sufficient for life, and so do we. Someone wrote it this way, we have God as our Father, Christ as our Savior, Holy Spirit as our Comforter, and Heaven as our home. We have everything we need. So most people go into the new year all excited about new possibilities and new opportunities. I am not most people. I decided that I needed to begin the year dealing with some of the issues that I have been avoiding. So I, start, so I decided to spend the month of January fasting and praying, and I, I did the Daniel fast, I just finished it, um, for the month of January, and I decided to spend that time dealing with issues of grief. And I, um, I assumed that this would be about the death of my mom and some of the other life changes that have happened in my, in my life. But to my surprise, as I started reading and journaling and praying, it became clear that what I was grieving was the life that I thought I should have had. I never thought I would be 40 and single. I had pictured my life so differently. But in this season of intentionally abiding in God's word and meditating on what the Bible has to say about grief and hearing God's promises for me, I can tell you that God is healing my heart. Did you realize that every time in the Bible God says, do not be afraid, he follows that up with, I will be with you or something like that. My fears about the future, God has made it clear, he will be with me, and I will be okay. In fact, I will be more than okay, I will be blessed because I already am. God is shifting my gaze and healing my heart, and I'm grateful. It's a process, no doubt, but God is our anchor. And for as long as I'm single, I'm going to live my best single life. I don't want to have any regrets in this life because I held out on doing something or experiencing something because I didn't have a life partner. I want every gift God has for me. I want every blessing God has for me. And I will enjoy this life because this is the life that God has given me. I know so many of us are like mourning, we have personal griefs in our, in our lives and we're mourning the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and, and those seven beloved people on that helicopter. But if we've learned nothing, we should have learned that this life that God has given us is precious. That we have to live this life to the fullest. That's what God wants for us. Contentment with our lives, joy in fully living this wonderful life he has so graciously given us. Live this life that you've been given to the fullest, not the life you wish you had. You may never be called someone's wife or someone's husband, but you will forever be called a child of the Most High God. 
You will never lose your status as part of the royal priesthood. You belong to God. You belong to the all-sufficient one, the all-powerful one, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he did not make a mistake when he made you. You are the one that Christ died for, and you are the one that Christ chose, and you are the one God promised would have an abundant life right here and right now. You are the one for whom God says, I have called you by name and you are mine. You are the beloved child of God. Instead of complaining about what you are not, praise God for who you are. So I told you in the beginning, and you all know that I grew up in a Baptist church, in a black church. And if I had just done that, said that all that stuff at the end, you all would have been standing by now. So I am going to invite you to stand right now and to praise God for who he has already created you to be. I invite you to stand and praise God that you are his beloved child, that he has made you perfect, that nothing in your life is out of his control, and that his purpose and his will and his plan for your life is as perfect as he has made you. So while you are standing, let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Amen. Almighty God, our Father, we do thank you Amen. that you are perfect, yes. that your plan is perfect, God, that your will for our lives is perfect. And God, we know that we wrestle with so many different things. And so God, we ask that you would forgive us for our discontentment. Forgive us, Lord, for those areas in our lives where we are struggling, Lord God. Please forgive us for our jealousy. Forgive us for idolizing anything. Forgive us for being afraid. Forgive us for bitterness, Lord God. Forgive us from all these things that can sit in our hearts and cause us to think that you are not perfect. That would cause us to think that what you've done is wrong or that you've made a mistake. God, we pray that you would give us the strength to focus our, our lives on you. Amen. To not despise the gift you have given us, whether that gift is marriage or whether that gift is singleness. God, give us the faith to trust you, God, with our lives. God, we thank you that you are perfect. We thank you that you are the all-sufficient one. We thank you that you are the mighty creator, God. And as long as we are in your hands, we are in the best place we could possibly be. And as long as we have you, God, we don't need anything else. And so we thank you, Heavenly Father. It's through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated, sorry. If you have your app or you have the bulletin, I invite you to turn to the back, find the next steps. We believe that the sermon does not end. When we leave service, there are some things that we need to respond to God with. Number one, 
I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. If you've never made that commitment before, I invite you to do so today. God has a perfect plan for your life and it, it started when he created you. It started when he died for your sins. He loves you so much and he wants you to be in relationship with him. And so if you've never made that commitment before, I invite you to check that box. Meet us right outside those double doors at the next table. There'll be somebody there who can pray with you and who can give you further um, instruction and direction. Number two, I will list the gifts of singleness and thank God for each of them. Whether you are single, with no kids, single with kids, divorced, whatever it is, whatever stage you find yourself in, God has given you a gift in your singleness. Write it out and thank God for those things. Number three, I will ask the Lord to reveal areas of discontentment in my life and pray for contentment. It doesn't matter if you're married or you're single. You're married and now you're waiting for kids. You've got kids and you're waiting for them to graduate. You're waiting to buy a house. You're waiting to get a new car. There's always something that causes discontent. And so we need to ask God to give us contentment with the life he has already given us. Number four, I will sign up to serve in ministry at Metro. If you're not serving, you should be. There are all the ministries listed there. Check them off so we can get back in touch with you. And if you're not sure where to go, just talk to one of the pastors. Number five, I am a resident of Inglewood and I would like to be contacted about ways I can help move along the community center process. Next Sunday, February 9th, after both services, Pastor Peter and I want to meet with the Inglewood residents. There are some concrete things we want you to help us with. So hopefully you'll be able to make that. And number six, please send me information on the next premarital class. Maybe you're dating someone, maybe you're engaged and you're looking towards marriage. We want to help you make that marriage a sign in a wonder like Pastor Peter said. So check that box off um, if that applies to you.